Today we are going to continue our series called United in Christ. We're going to continue our journey walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Welcome to everybody here on campus. Welcome to everybody here online. Go ahead, type in your name. Let us know you're watching so we can interact with you a little bit. Uh, Grateful to have you guys be a part of our service this morning. I want to go ahead and I want to jump in right into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your scriptures, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have it, it's right up here on the screen too. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Today I want to talk about our dedication to division. I want to talk about our commitment to our culture. And I want to talk about why we have allowed such small, insignificant matters to rule over our lives and divide our hearts. Rather than living a life of obedience and commitment and dedication to the one true God. Like I said, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians and we're going to take our time because there's a lot here to unpack. We've heard heard Paul talk about the divisions that are rapidly growing among the Corinthians. Divisions based on who to follow. Does it sound familiar to anybody else? Right? Some people are going, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Some people are even saying, I follow Cephas. We know him better as Peter. We've heard Paul reiterate his stance on, listen, the three of us are not competing. We all preach Christ crucified. Last week, Randy walked us through how gospel wisdom unites us together. Today, we are going to talk about how true unity cannot be found in a culture-centered world, but only found in a gospel-centered life. True unity cannot be found in a culture-centered world, but can only be found in a gospel-centered life. Life. So what's Paul saying here in our scripture this morning? What's, what's Paul actually getting at here? Well, first of all, he starts out by calling them a bunch of babies. Did you catch that? Like, that never feels good, but I just envisioned Paul going, okay, guys, everybody find your blue carpet squares, sit down, okay? Timmy, you know sandals go outside the room, not inside. No, 
Sabrina, we're going to hold on to our snack until later. Right now, we're going to talk about how our lives are continuing to unravel and be pushed further and further away from God. See, the Corinthians, their their minds had not been changed. Their, Their actions had not been changed and transformed by the Spirit, but have remained merely human. They had not become an image of the invisible God. They had remained an image of the visible culture. They were not following God's will, but they were following their own sinful desires. Paul then makes it very clear about his role and Apollos' role in the whole church development system here. He goes, listen, you, you were not saved because of me. You were not saved because of Apollos. You were saved because of Christ. Sure, we are here, but we are merely servants. And when he uses that word, that word can also be translated as, as ministers of the gospel, as, as helpers of the gospel as messengers of the gospel, but never as savior of the gospel. Paul places all of the emphasis here on God's continuous action and transformation. He plainly says that the one planting and watering must obviously be working together, yet both of them are powerless without the one causing the growth. You see, God-given growth produces unity. And real growth happens when we allow real transformation to happen, when we allow the God of the universe to get personal with us. When we allow the Savior of the world to actually be our personal Savior as well. When we allow the Holy Spirit to change And shape us. Transformation happens when we allow scripture to pour over our lives, not just be something we hear on Sunday mornings. When we allow worship to be the song of our heart, transformation happens when we allow giving to be a part of our DNA, when we allow serving others to be our natural tendency, when we allow real transformation to happen in our lives, we will start to see our division shrink and unity grow. There are two truths that Paul is speaking about here in our scripture this morning. One truth has to do with culture. The other truth has to do with Christ. And I want us to pay attention to each of them. The first truth that we find in our scripture here this morning is this. If we embrace the culture around us, we will be consumed by the divisions that surround our culture. If we choose to embrace the culture around us, We will then be choosing to be consumed by the divisions that surround our culture. Verses 1 through 5, let's go back to our scripture. Leave it open, we're just going to be there the whole morning. We're just going to camp out there for a while. Verses 1 through 5, Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are we not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's holding up a mirror. 
He's showing them through his words what they are acting like. He uses the word flesh four times. Bible study tip, if it's repeated, it's worth looking deeper into. He uses the word flesh four times in the opening five verses of chapter 3. In verse 1, the word he uses for flesh actually means that an allegiance has been made with the culture. And then in verse 3, he uses the same word three times when he speaks of the flesh. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul uses a different tense. While it's translated the same in our scripture, he uses a different tense, which means its, it's meaning is slightly different. It moves from being allegiance with the world to behaving like the world. He then speaks to the jealousy and strife that is happening between them all. And this is the same reference that he makes in chapter 1, verse 11, when he speaks about how he's heard about the strife happening because of Chloe's household informing him. And when he speaks, when he speaks about jealousy, he's speaking about intense negative feelings towards one another. When he mentions strife, he's talking about this word that is actually rivalry. There's a rivalry brewing between The Corinthian people, both of these words speak about rivalry and division, taking sides and getting ready to take aim. See, I think it's important for us to note that Paul is not talking about a little disagreement here. He's not a mediator. There's no no little disagreement here. There is big division that's happening here. You see, if we embrace the culture, we will be consumed by the divisions that surround the culture. Rivalries will take shape. Jealousy and envy will become the norm. Divisions will start to roam, not just in our hearts and minds, but throughout every corner of our lives. When we make the choice to embrace the culture around us, we will stop pursuing spiritual transformation in us. Worship will become scarce rather than sacred. Reading God's word will be a last resort, not the first response. Prayer will become a lifeline, not a lifestyle. This is exactly what the Corinthian church was walking through. The gospel that Paul, Apollos, and even Peter brought to the Corinthians had become muzzled by the noise of the culture around them. And we fall into the same trap of noise. We embrace the sound of noise rather than the sound of God's voice. We embrace the culture around us rather than the gospel inside us. We embrace the lifestyle of busyness. We embrace rivalries. We embrace divisions. We embrace culture. And then when we need God, we go, where is he? When our oldest daughter was about two or three, she loved to play by herself. She would just enter in and just start playing with all of her little people that she had and, you know, all of her little uh, figurines that she had. She'd be playing with them. And as soon as my wife or I would try and enter in, she would be like, no, I don't, I don't want you to play. You're not playing right, right? I mean, I do that too. Like, hey, you're not playing right. <laughs> you're supposed to let me win. And so we, we came to this conclusion that she doesn't want us to play with her, but she wants us to be in the room with her. And I think oftentimes we do the same thing 
to God. She wanted to know that we were there, but at the same time, she didn't want anything to do with us. We do the exact same thing to God. We tend to treat God in a similar way. We don't want him to interact with our lives until we need him to interact with our lives. I think it's important to note that that Paul is not in the conversation of conversion because he wants their behavior to be better. But he wants their lives to be transformed. Paul is dealing with some deep-rooted habits of culture and simply modifying the behavior is not nearly enough. But real, Christ-centered, God-honoring, spirit-working transformation is the only solution. And Paul is a beautiful example of this kind of transformation. Do you remember his story? Acts chapter 8 and 9 and really the rest of the New Testament after that. Right? Saul is on his way to persecute more Christians, to imprison more Christians at the end of Acts chapter 8. And then in Acts chapter 9, he has this beautiful encounter with Jesus as he's on his way to put more Christians in jail to persecute more Christians, to do everything he can to stop the message of Jesus. He has this blinding interaction with the Savior. And his life starts to become a little transformed. He's sent into town to meet with this man named Ananias, whose name might have been on his list. And now Ananias has to pastor this man that he was once afraid of. Ananias is given this task of planting seeds of transformation in Saul's life. And in the pages and the letters that follow in our scripture, we see a transformation from from Saul to Paul. We see a transformation from culture to Christ. We see a transformation in Paul from from self-reliance to savior dependence. Paul knows what kind of surrender it takes to allow God to transform us out of the deep-rooted habits of our culture and into a deep-rooted relationship with God. And he wants the same transformation for the Corinthian church. Listen, a relationship with God is not simply about becoming a better version of our cultured selves but becoming transformed by getting rid of the cultured self and embracing a new identity and unity in Christ. Leaving the flesh behind. Leaving the rivalries behind. Leaving the divisions behind and growing in the unity that God has designed. Listen, we can embrace cultural divisions. We really can. That's an option. Not a good one, but that's an option. And I think we've all seen what has happened in our world as we continue to do this over and over and over again. We can. We can embrace cultural divisions or we can step into a life of growth with God, but we can't do both. Truth number two. If we embrace the spiritual growth given by God, then we can watch as divisions get crushed, as unity gets elevated and transformation begins. As divisions diminish in our own hearts and in our own lives. As the unity in Christ starts to grow through the surface. And as transformation begins in here. Let's go back to our scripture, verses 6 through 9. Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything 
but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Here's the thing. Paul is going, listen, you guys, we're together on this. We're not separate. You guys don't need to be separate because we're not separate. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You see, in verses 1 through 5, we see Paul holding up a mirror so the Corinthians can gain some insight into how they are acting. But here in verses 6 through 9, we see Paul holding up a picture of what God does. You see, God is in the business of growth. And Paul wants to make sure that the Corinthians know what growth looks like. He wants to make sure that they understand that the life they are living is not what God designed. And that God offers a life that is completely different. Twice in verses 6 through 9, he mentions the word growth. Now, I know this definition is not going to be groundbreaking for you. They need to go to Bible college to figure this definition out. But growth in the original language is meant to become greater in extent, size, state, or quality. And most of the New Testament references of growth are in the context of crops, plants, or fields. So as as Paul is talking about growth, he's not talking about just a physical growth, but a spiritual growth. Growth that requires great depth. Growth that requires deep roots, growth that moves beyond the surface, growth that can change hearts, can change minds, can change actions, can mend divisions, can heal what's broken, and can embrace God-given unity. But growth can be a painful process for us. Why? Because our roots are still embedded in our culture. Our roots still embrace divisions. Our roots can still be defined as flesh. And in order for God to transform, he wants to transplant. And that hurts. We have to be uprooted. He wants to move us. He wants to dig up our deep-rooted allegiance to our culture and transplant us to a space where we can experience a deep-rooted relationship with him. Both times when Paul references growth, he says that God gives the growth. Verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Verse 7 says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So here's the thing, everybody. Here's the thing, online community. Growth is a gift. It's a gift. Now, I know we got the holiday season coming up. We got Christmas coming up. You ever open up a gift that you had to pretend to like? Yep. You open it up and you're like, hey, socks. That's not Legos. They, they're blue. That's, that's great. Thank you. That's wonderful. We'll lay them down here on the carpet and maybe forget them and slide them under the couch a little bit. Or I remember there was one Christmas where I opened up a sweatshirt and it was it was my favorite basketball team's logo on the front of it, but it wasn't blue. It was, it was teal. And I'm like, did it fade in the box or something? Like, what happened here? Like, that's so weird. You open it up and it's like, you can't think of anything nice to say, so you just describe it again. It's teal and soft. This is, this is soft. Pillowcase, maybe. This is nice. It's like, I don't care if it's soft. I want it to fit. I want it to be right. I want it to be my size. I want it to be everything I wanted it to be. Well, growth is exactly like that. Growth is this gift, this 
this gift that is going to be difficult, this gift that is going to be an awkward color, this gift that might not fit right because we're not there yet. But the gift of growth also tells us that we are valued. That we were worth the price that Jesus paid on the cross because you don't give a gift to someone without loving them first. Growth is the gift of new identity. Growth is the gift of new perspective. And when we're talking about a new identity, that means we have to say bye to our old one. We're talking about a new perspective, gift, growth being that gift of new perspective. That means we have to get rid of our old one. Growth is the gift of new life, which means we wave bye to our old life. Growth is the gift of new value. Growth tells us that we were made for so much more than our culture can give. Yes, growth requires a painful process, but it also gives us a providential promise of God's redeeming love. Growth is a foundational element of our transformation process in which God develops in us a desire to give away earthly aspirations, to give away fleshly divisions, to give away our culture's rivalries and embrace an allegiance to God and to God alone. You see, Paul is bluntly calling out the Corinthians for how they are living. He's asking them and telling them, pleading with them to give away their cultural desires and embrace the life of growth that God has to offer. Giving away their culture to gain the new life offered to them through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Paul is showing them what growth and transformation can look like through his own life's examples. He's not sitting up on top of a mountain and saying, listen to everybody down there. He's in it with them. He goes, guys, I get it. This is tough. This is hard. It takes a dedicated focus to get where we need to go. To be placed at the feet of Jesus so that transformation can happen. He's like, I get it. But my life can be an example of that. You see, true unity cannot be found in a culture-centered world but only cultivated and grown in a gospel-centered, transformed life. So what does it look like to live a gospel-centered, transformed life? What does it look like to embrace this life of growth and unity in God? What does it look like to leave cultural divisions behind and focus on unity in Christ who is in front? Well, the first place we need to start is we need to trade our unholy habits for holy habits. We need to trade our unholy habits for holy habits. We need to let go of the habits that are keeping us in a culture and replace them with habits that keep us close to God. Paul writes about this later on in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Did you hear the list of unholy habits? Did we hear the holy habits in which to replace those unholy habits? See, Paul gives us this entire list of all the ways the Galatians are, are hurting. And then he gives them this fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not a bowl. You don't get to pick out kindness and leave patience in there. I see some of you guys doing that. I know you do. I saw you checking your watch. Okay? I get it. It's fine. But it's not a bowl of fruit. You don't get to pick and choose which ones you want or which ones are convenient to your situation. When we trade these unholy habits for these holy habits, we have to embrace these holy habits. Paul is telling us here to let go of things that are unholy and embrace things that draw us into a personal relationship with the king. So number one, we have to let go of those unholy habits and replace them with holy ones. The second way that we can pursue this transformed life pursue this unity in Christ is we have to recognize our blind spots. Well, hold on, Justin. You said they're blind spots. How can I see them? Good question. You guys always ask such great questions. See, we all have these blind spots in our lives. Blind spots that we can't see that are hindering our relationship with God, that are hindering our relationship with others. We all have these, we all have these blind spots, right? These things that are hard for us to see. We need to be able to identify these blind spots in our lives that are in step with our culture. And the best way to do that, I know, get ready, it's a churchy answer, but guess what? We're in church. It's okay. You have to spend time with the Lord. Plain and simple. Spend time with the Lord. I love what David writes in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Now listen, this is something you got to buckle up for, like, because this could, this could cause a head-on collision between ourselves and our sinfulness, all right? David writes maybe one of the most honest prayers in all of Scripture, you know, next to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this prayer right here, he says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me that, that may lead me away and lead me, Lord, into the everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. What an honest and authentic prayer from David. And if we want to get to know our blind spots, then we need to pray this prayer and then let God answer. David is inviting God to make known what is unknown at this time to him. Spending real, honest time with the Lord, asking him to call out in us what we cannot see in ourselves is the most authentic way to recognize our blind spots. So we need to trade our unholy habits for holy habits. We need to recognize our blind spots and last we need to be in communion with God. We need to be in community with God. We need to be in unity with God. 
Why? Again, you guys ask such great questions. Why? Because God gives the growth. We've already talked about this. God gives the growth. God gives new life. God gives new mercies. God gives new beginnings. Why do we need to be in communion with God? Because God gives new perspectives. He gives us new value. God unites the divided. He heals rivalries. God gives us more than anything in our culture can. God gave us his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death, to be dead, buried, and resurrected, all because the grave couldn't hold him. Envy and strife could not hold him. Our culture could not hold him. The divisions of sin could not hold him. They threw their very best and most ridiculous death sentence at Jesus, and he still got up from the grave because our Savior is not a Savior with capacity. He's not a Savior with limits. He's not a Savior that that has borders or restrictions or boundaries, but he is the one true Savior of the world. This God is the one we should be in communion with. This is the God who restores, the God who transforms, and the God who gives growth to us. So let's embrace him. Too often, listen, too often our culture invites us to build our own empire. It invites us to build our own empire or to help build the empire of someone else. Guess what? Our calling is not to build an empire, but it's to build a kingdom. It's time that we embrace the Father so that we can authentically and intentionally embrace one another. True unity cannot be found in a cultured center world. But true unity can only be found in a gospel-centered, transformed life.